Welcome to The Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host and CEO of the Molitor Group, Ed Molitor. Now, if you've been a part of our community for a while now, you probably have become somewhat annoyed or intrigued by the conversations I've had wrapped around my pursuit of completing uh, an Ironman 70.3. Now, for those of you not familiar with the Ironman 70.3, here is what it is. It is a 1.2-mile swim, a 56-mile bike, followed up by a half marathon, so a 13.1-mile run. Now, let me try to keep this as brief as possible, make a long story short. Three and a half years ago when I was 49 years old, not to date myself, but I just did, I decided that I want a different challenge than just doing the Olympic distance triathlons and the sprint distance triathlons. What an Olympic distance is, it's a 0.9 mile swim, it is a 26 mile bike, and then uh, a 6.2 mile run. I needed something more. I needed to push myself. I needed to challenge myself. I needed to see if I was capable, not just physically. I mean, we have no idea what we're capable of physically. So the physical, but I want to see if I was capable of it mentally. And if I could put in the training with everything that I had going on uh, in my world, most importantly, the family and the business, I ventured out and this would be, if you're doing the math, this would be 2019. So needless to say, in March of 2020, our world's changed significantly. And I just had started really training probably mid-February when I was approaching my 50th birthday. But that didn't stop me. Even though we couldn't get in the pool, I would do uh, dry land swims with resistant cords. I would do the runs. I would do the bike on my Wahoo trainer. I would go outside, whatever. Whatever I could do, I was getting the workouts in. And as things began to loosen up, I started doing my open water swims in probably June, July of 2020. Literally a month before the race, I get on an open water swim. And for some reason, I checked my email. And the first thing waiting for me was the fact that the Michigan Ironman 70.3 have been canceled because of COVID. Kind of expected, still a little bit of a bummer. So just kind of went back to life as normal, well, as normal as it was back then. And the following year, I decided I was going to make another run at it. And I was going to, and it had been moved from uh, Traverse City to another location in Michigan, which was absolutely beautiful. And I was excited about it. I was really excited about it. Ian had a great three for four and a half months of training, and my daughter, Maddie, had decided to switch from baseball to softball, which for her was significant. She never played softball. She was in love with baseball. She loved the sport. She loved competing. Obviously, had a little bit of an edge and chip on her shoulder. Loved being the only girl playing on her team. I think in her travel league, there's only one or two other girls. Anyways, three and a half, four weeks before that race, and I was in great shape. I was feeling really good. Had a couple, couple injuries. We get an email from her softball coach and it says, great news. We've added a game to our schedule. As a matter of fact, it might have even been a tournament now that I think about it. We've added a game to our Silverhawk schedule and it'll be on this date. And I read the date and I read the date again. Oh God, that's a familiar date. We must have something. So I went to my calendar. Sometimes I'm not the brightest light bulb in the chandelier. I went to my calendar and sure as heck, that was the date of the um, Michigan Ironman 70.3. So my race that I've been preparing for uh, close to two years for. So of course, I did what any father worth his weight and salt would do. 
uh, much to the angst of some of my friends. They thought I was nuts, but I canceled the race. I didn't go. It was about three and a half weeks out, three weeks out. Um, there was absolutely no way I was going to miss the first softball game. And it's just one of those things, right? What happens if she struggles? What happens if something great happens? You don't want to miss those moments. You don't get those moments back. So then there was last summer. And last summer, there was zero chance that I was going to be able to train for the 70.3. I just did not have it in me, bandwidth-wise, schedule-wise. Kids had a thousand things going on. And then fast forward to this past, I want to say January, February, and I was having a conversation with a great friend of mine who we kind of got into this racket of doing half Ironmans together. And he said, hey, why don't you just do Steelhead 70.3 in Benton Harbor? It's June 26th. It's on a Sunday. And then you have the rest of your summer. And I was like, God, that's kind of a great idea. And to myself, now, Trey, God bless him. His heart was in the right place. But I'm not sure that he realized that the swim was in Lake Michigan. Okay. And it was in June, which means the water temp was going to be a little bit chillier than it is down in Dallas, Texas, where he calls home. So the water temp day of the race was 59. But anyways, I'll get to that in a second. So long story short, I signed up for it. I trained. I made the, the decision to hire a different triathlon coach. I hired Tim Hawley. And, and I'm telling you right now, if you're into triathlons, regardless of the distance and you want to coach running half marathons, marathons, you want to coach, go to uh, Tim Hawley, go underscore Tim Hawley for Instagram or go to at run related. That's their group. He is one of the few coaches in my life, regardless of sports, regardless of age, regardless of where I was at, who really actually connected with me and found a way to get me to where I needed to be mentally so I could do what I needed to do physically. And you'll understand when I get into it here in a second, what I mean by that. But honestly, God, I can't say enough amazing things about him. So I hired Tim and he lays out the game plan and I don't ask any questions. I just sometimes with my travel with work, we need to move a few things around and we just start getting after it. And the first real challenge came over spring break when we traveled to Cincinnati for a Maddie soccer tournament. and we weren't in a bad neighborhood where the hotel was. I just didn't know where we were. It was right off the highway, busy roads, wasn't a great place to run, had my bike, wasn't a great place to ride, didn't know much about it. And then woke up in the morning and it was pouring rain, right? So it was pouring rain. Her first day, she had a game at 8 a.m. So I got up and I did a run. I did a seven mile run, I think it was, on a treadmill in seven minutes on a treadmill is seven minutes too long for me. And I did a seven mile run on the treadmill and then just kind of got after. And then we went on spring break down to Florida. And it was a bit of a challenge, but I did the best that I could. And that's where Tim really stepped in and said, man, just go enjoy your time with your family. Do what you can. You've got plenty of time to ramp this training up. And literally that treadmill gave me the only injury I had for the next four or five months, which was it's kind of a strained calf. But that's neither here nor there. And I just followed the plan. And it's amazing what can do when you just show up. And you're probably sitting there thinking, well, okay, here we go. We're just going to hear the same thing, right? Like follow the process, trust the process, self-select into the process. Here's the thing. It absolutely works. So that is March. And we train in April. We train in May. We train in the first two, three weeks of June. Had a bit of travel between doing workshops and speaking and some other things and, and working the book. Had a bit of travel going in. But man, I just, I just did what I can do. And there was days I was exhausted and Tim would just tell me to back off, listen to your body. I'm not by nature, a lazy person. I'm going to get after it. I'm going to work to the point where I, when I trained for the first two half Ironmans I was planning on doing, I thought every workout had to be a punishment. I thought every workout I had to put myself through absolute hell. So I felt like I accomplished something, but I discovered 
paying attention to what my heart rate was when I run. I, I paid attention to the different bike workouts, what I was really, truly trying to accomplish. And the swim was, it was just unbelievable. The yards that we put in, and it would always come back to this, get miles in the bank, right? Just bank miles. Just keep doing what you need to do. I remember thinking to myself, like, this is incredible because two months ago, I couldn't do this. But yet it didn't feel like anything overly significant. It didn't feel like I was doing anything over the top. I was just literally showing up every day doing the work. Now, there were runs at 3.30 in the morning. There was getting on the, on the bike trainer down at 4.30 in the morning. Every Tuesday, Thursday, when we, when we shift spots, it was Monday, Thursdays, every swim started at 5 a.m. But here's the thing. Success is not convenient. Success is so inconvenient. And the thing I thought about when I was riding the bike, when you spend 56 miles on a bike in the hills, you have a lot of time to think. And I'm like, man, this is messy. Like success is really can be messy and it's inconvenient. And I thought to myself about how good I was feeling in the preparation that went into it. And it dawned on me that, yes, yeah, success is inconvenient, but it was nowhere near as inconvenient as being unprepared. I mean, that's a complete recipe for disaster. And it's okay for success to be messy. It's okay to be annoyed by it sometimes, to be annoyed by what it takes. It's okay to not feel like doing it just as long as you go do it. But then there's that fine line when you need to listen to your body. Inside of this training, really locked into the physical, mental, and emotional part. Here's what I mean by this. I, you know, you're probably saying, well, Ed, you just said to us that you didn't feel like you needed to crush yourself every workout. So how are you getting yourself outside of your comfort zone? Well, hey, I just told you the times that I was working out. I was not going to miss one of my kids' events. I was not going to inconvenience my kids because of dad's goals. That's not the way it was going to work in this house. Sure, I was tired. Sure, when, I, when they woke up, I was you know dripping with sweat. I didn't get a whole lot of morning hugs for a few months, but we had a lot of laughs around it. But I was not going to put them out. At least I was going to minimize the amount I put them out by my training and my pursuit of my goal. So physically, the physical part's obvious, right? Put in the miles. We paid attention to nutrition. What's the nutrition on the bike? How are you hydrating? Okay, what sits with you? What actually makes you feel a bit better? What gives you energy that you need? How often are you taking water on the run? I used to be that guy that would go run 45 minutes out, 45 minutes back, and then take water. Didn't do it for me, right? I learned to come back every, I believe it was every four miles, I would come back to the house, grab water, and keep going. And it was amazing what that did for my level of performance and efficiency inside of my workouts. Mentally, I got into what I was thinking about on the road. I got into what I was thinking about on the trainer. I got into what I was thinking about in the pool. I would journal it. I would think about it. I would talk to others about it because I knew that on race day, I was going to have a boatload of time with my discretionary thinking. In other words, there was going to be so many external influences on me and distractions on me that it would be really easy for my thinking to get sideways and to go down some rabbit holes. And it's absolutely mind-blowing what you think about when you're alone for that long. And I did train alone. I don't ride with groups. I don't run with groups. It's not because I'm antisocial. It's not because I don't like people. It's just because it's where I do my best. And every now and then I sprinkle in a run or, or a ride or I do swim with a group. But obviously when you're in the water swimming, you're, you're by yourself. And I did have a community of people that I talked to. But when I worked out on the, on the bike and when I worked out on the run, I spent just quite a bit of time by myself. And what I found was my preparation allowed for flexibility and adaptability on race day because it went back to how intentional I was about paying attention to my discretionary thinking. So the week leading up to the race, I'm feeling really good. Had gone golfing the week prior. So two weeks prior to the race, about 10 days prior to the race, I'd gone golfing with a uh, best friend. And we don't get to see each other nearly as much as 
uh, we would like to. So this was one golf day we had in the calendar for a few weeks. And lo and behold, I wake up in the morning and it is torrential downpour, thunderstorms. It's not going to ease up. And I think, actually, I think I did an open water swim right before. Yeah, I did an open water swim before the golf that day. And it started kind of raining towards the end. But anyways, we go golfing. First hole, it starts raining. Second hole, it's pouring. It rained the entire time. And probably about a hole 12, I felt something in my back, whatever. It was a little bit, you know, it was cooler. It was raining. It was windy. I overswang. No big deal. Well, next thing you know, I've got rock tape on my back. I'm getting treatment every day leading up to the race. And it is it is what it is. I'm not going to worry about it. We've come this far. Uh, let's just see see what happens. So now the race, the um, Steelhead 70.3 is in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And my wife did an amazing job getting a uh, Airbnb right in the water. It was super, super cool. A great location, very quiet. And the first day we, we arrived there, it was absolutely beautiful. Blue skies, sunny, amazing sunset off the back deck. I mean, everything was everything was amazing. And um, the next day you go register, and it was one of the cooler registration experiences I've had because you could feel the energy, you could feel the vibe. Um, I sent them downtown St. Joe's to do what they do great. They went shopping and got ice cream and walked around and, and did their thing. And I soaked it all up and met some different people and looked around. And, and then what I did, I went, something I never did with the Olympic races, I went to the pre-race meeting. They say they require it, but you can, you can skip out on it if you want, but you'll pay dearly for it. So I went to the pre-race meeting and here's where this gets really interesting. So Tim, my coach, I uh, had given me a game plan, had put a game plan in my calendar that I had read, I believe it was a two weeks leading up to it. I would read it every day so I can memorize it. I would read it every day. And I want to read the swim part to you because this is where things really started to kick in for me about 20 hours before the race. Okay. So the first thing he puts on the swim plan was this, you can do this. Trust the training you've put in. You've swam just fine in open waters. Don't panic. Now, anybody who has done an open water race knows it's really easy to panic about the smallest things. Your wetsuit feels too tight. You feel like you're not breathing well enough. You get kicked in the head. Oh my God, it's really way rougher than I thought it was. Why do I feel like this? All sorts of reasons, right? So he said, don't panic, take a deep breath and take it one buoy at a time. Here's where it gets interesting. So I go to the pre-race meeting. I'm sitting with hundreds of people and I take one buoy at a time. All it means to me is it's one buoy at a time. But in the pre-race meeting, they say, the buoys are 100 meters apart. For some reason, that resonated with me. The buoys are 100 meters at apart, okay? Take a deep breath and take it one buoy at a time. You will not make your day, but you can break your day here. So be patient. If you panic, take a few backstrokes, pause if needed, and press forward. Once you finish this, you've already accomplished a lot. Go celebrate by having a great bike ride, all right? So to me, that was really cool. Now I know, okay, the swim, if something happens to me, 100 meters at a time. I can do 100 meters at a time. I can do 100 meters at a time all day long if I need to. So after pre-race meeting, we go and the rest of the family comes up. My mom and dad come up with uh, our son, EJ, who had a little baseball game on that Friday night. And we have a, a wonderful dinner on this really cool screened in porch with a huge table overlooking the lake. I mean, just everything is great. Again, a beautiful evening. And of course, you're doing what we always do and we're tracking the weather. And the weather does not look promising for the next morning. And there was talk about it the day before. And they, they did say, hey, listen, you really got to pay attention in the morning. We're probably going to give you some instructions uh, via your phones. So I stay up. Maddie goes to bed. I stay up till like 11 o'clock watching Boss Baby with EJ. Why we were watching Boss Baby, I have no idea. 
Um, I stayed up to 11 o'clock because I knew I was just going to go to bed, lay on my back and stare at the ceiling. But it was something weird about this. Like, I was so prepared and I was so ready. Yeah, I was nervous. I mean, you know, when you care about something, you're going to be nervous. That's why nerves are a good thing. But I was just at peace with the fact that tomorrow we finally get to do this. And Tim had talked to all my friends that have done these before, talked about your race day is just a celebration. Like all the hard work is done. Yeah, you're going to go through some crap on race day, but man, you got to enjoy it. I'm sitting there and then I finally go to bed and I fall asleep and I wake up at about three in the morning because we need to be there at 4.30 to transition opens. I wake up at about three, a half hour before I plan on waking up or 15 minutes before I plan on waking up and something feels off. We had these beautiful French doors that opened up to the lake and I realized what felt off was there is a storm over Lake Michigan. And when I say a storm, we're talking 30, 40 mile an hour gust, the wind's coming through the doors and the windows, lightning, lighting up the sky. It's kind of cool, except the fact that I'm supposed to be doing a half Ironman in a few hours. So at that point, I didn't find it cool or beautiful or, or anything. I find it a little bit annoying. So I get up, uh, make a cup of coffee and go sit down stairs and, and looking out the windows and curious as to what's going to happen. And the texts start coming in and report at five, report at 5.30. And I'm watching the radar. And, and if you follow me on social media, you saw some pictures of me sitting there watching my phone on the couch. Trust me, I wasn't looking at Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter or X, whatever they call it now. I was looking at the radar and I made a decision that I was at peace with that. If they cancel the swim and, and they'll do that sometimes, if they can't do the swim, they'll cancel it and they'll do a run, a, a bike run. No, excuse me. Yeah. A run, bike, run. Okay. I was not doing that. I didn't come this far three years of training to just do that. Like my butt was getting in the water. If I needed to sign up for a different one, then that's what I was going to do. So finally, sun's coming up, still raining, and we get a text. Transition opens at 6.30. So we get to the transition, and people are buzzing. People are fired up. They're excited. Nobody thought we were going to do it. There have been people there sitting in their cars since 4 in the morning. And at about 6.45, they say, hey, the swim is going to start at 7.30. It was perfect because that gave me very little time to think about what I was about to do. You know, get the wetsuit on, get your transition area uh, all situated, get everything laid out, your nutrition, get ready to go. We get to the swim and it's a rolling start, which means you have to sort of estimate what your time is going to be. This is my first mistake. I did not give myself enough credit for the pace that I was going to go at for the swim. So I started back further than I should have. So I, I spent a great deal of the swim swimming around people, dodging people. I got kicked in the stomach um, once, I got kicked in the head. People will swim into you and I still love the swim. Had a great swim. Was very happy. Now I say great. My great, your great could be significantly different. I'm not talking time great. I'm talking, I felt awesome. I felt really good. I definitely didn't break my race. I got out of the water and then we get to the bike and I go back to the game plan that we had on the ride. And this is where it really got fun. The highlight of the day was the fact that my family was so involved in the race. My wife and uh, my, my dad came down to the transition area with me early in the morning. They were there when I got in the water. They were there when I got out of the water. So here was the game plan that Tim gave me for the bike. Steady. That's the name of the game. No big surges. If people pass you, they are simply more fit or they're burning their matches. Now, funny side note, that's the story I was telling myself every time someone passed me. Yeah, they're just burning their matches. I'm going to catch them, which ironically, often that really was the case, which is kind of cool. So he goes on, the toughest part of a triathlon is the run. So be as fresh as possible for it. To do so, ride steady, keep calories coming in, keep hydrated. If you get hot, use water at an aid uh, station to pour on your chest, back, 
five miles at a time. So here's the two things besides the obvious of keep calories coming in and stay hydrated, right? It was no big surges, ride steady, five miles at a time. And that right there, I said those things over and over my head as people either passed me or rode up alongside me. You get in games of cat and mouse. I had no desire to honestly get in a, a pissing contest, for lack of a better term, with anybody on the bike. And you see it happening all the time. A ton of flats. The ride, there was a lot of potholes, a lot of rocks, a ton of flats. I was just five miles at a time, head down. Now, a funny story was this. So our home was about seven miles into the ride. And Nancy was convinced that my dad and her could get to the truck, get back to the house, get the kids up and be there by the time I passed. So as I jumped on a bike, I started doing the math. I'm like, I don't know that that's going to happen, but whatever, no big deal. And I'm at about mile, needless to say they weren't there. I'm at about mile 30, I think 29, 30, maybe 31. And there was cars passing us, and you know, people cheering. It was really such a cool experience. Um, I'm being very intentional about thanking all the volunteers. And all of a sudden I hear a car honking and I hear a cowbell and I hear this woman screaming. I'm like, that's cool. Someone's family or someone's wife is, is fired up that they see him. I go, that's, that's pretty cool. And I like the beeping is getting closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden my truck pulls up next to me and the crazy woman with the cowbell is my wife. And my father looks out the shotgun window with this look of horror on his face. Cause I can only imagine what she had been doing, how she had been driving, trying to find me on the bike course. And then the back window rolls down and there's Maddie and EJ. EJ has this look of kind of like, this is kind of cool. Dad's nuts. Maddie's filming me and just throws me a thumbs up and smiles. And what was really cool about that moment, besides the fact my wife did not run over any bikers, which I was a little bit concerned with at the time. What was really cool about it at that moment, at mile 30, I didn't need it yet, but I stored that feeling away of the fact that they were excited for me, despite the fact they had to share me with my training for so long. The fact that my kids got to see not just me, but all the people out there competing. The fact that, you know, we did this together. And that's really what I focused on that day. A lot of people are like, God, wasn't it amazing what you did? How great was it? Tell me about this and that. Honestly, God, that whole day, I was focused on others. Like that whole day, what I did, we talk about gratitude all the time and what that can do to anxiety and stress and performance. It's the damn truth. From the minute I stepped into that transition area, everything was about thanking the volunteers. Everybody was, everything was about meeting people. Sure, I was in a quiet place in my head. And that's something that the preparation did, right? And that's something that the game plan did in, in my pre-race routine. Like I, would, I went to a place physically and mentally where I needed to be. I got real quiet in my head, steady heartbeat. And the other thing, and I'm going to take, I'm going to go to the side here and I'll, I'll pick back up the race. In the pre-race, I realized that that hard work was done, but I was really sure to have myself prepared to understand that the struggle was nowhere near over. So here I am on the bike. Now, don't forget the back issue, right? So the back's feeling really good. At mile 40, the back starts to stiffen up. And here's what else happens. The wind shifts. So what we thought was going to be a downhill ride, I thought, excuse me, not we, there's no we, I thought it was going to be a downhill ride like the last 10 miles with wind in my back, which I was really excited about. At about mile 46, I realized I miscalculated the route. And not only were we not going downhill, we had a big bit of uh, uphill and we were going straight into the wind. All right. We were going straight into the wind, running perpendicular with the, with the lake. And then we got alongside it. The wind shifted again. It was kind of coming out of the south, southwest at the time and it was warming up. And you just do what you have to do. And the back was starting to stiffen up. It was no big deal. 
felt really good, got off the bike and get in the transition area. And my transitions were super slow, but I was going to soak up every minute of it. I start running and then here's a game plan for the run. And this and then the run probably is my strongest part of the race. And if you saw how slow I was, you would laugh. You made it to the run. This is simply done one mile at a time. Don't focus on the next mile or your previous mile. Keep moving forward. It was unbelievable the difference this made. Because what I basically did when I bought into this game plan, what I did is I gave myself permission to just believe in what he put in front of me and don't worry about the previous mile. So here's what happened. My first mile, slow. Now, understood, right? Just my bike, 56 miles. I'm taking fluids. I'm trying to get my bearings straight. It was about 20 seconds slower than I wanted it to be. Mile two, I didn't worry about it. Okay. I just ran. I just ran. And the other thing I did, okay, so don't get too excited coming off the bike and fly your first mile. So there's no flying about it. Just settle in and be patient. Use fluids at every station, drink and pour water on body to cool off. If they have ice, pour some down your kit. And your kit's your one piece. It's your try one piece that you you wear under your wetsuit and pour ice down your kit. And that was the game uh, changer right there for me. Because what I would do is I would pour it down my back. So I basically iced my back for two hours while running 13.1 miles. And it, it was awesome. So I literally stopped. Every mile I would stop at the aid station. Or every mile and a half I'd stop. I would get water. I would get ice. And if I was in a mood to eat something, I'd have maybe a couple bites of banana. I didn't mess around with the power bars because they were different power bars than I had trained with. I didn't want to upset the stomach. And I felt great. You know, I probably could have knocked eh, seven, eight minutes off the run had I not just taken my time at the um, aid stations like I did. And I, I still almost ran a sub two half marathon after everything else. So here's where it gets really fun. Enjoy that last mile. You'll be hurting but that's what all the training was for. Race day again, race day is a celebration. Make it as such, you've already passed that test. And it's funny how stuff like this can pour over into all the other areas of your life. And, and I sat back and it took me a minute to really put all this down on paper and, and to, to, I reflected on it quite a bit, but because of business, because of travel, because of family, because of getting immersed in everything that was going on around me that you know I needed to throw myself into, I haven't had a chance to record this episode and I look back on it and, and just to get back in it, I, I watched the finish line today and I'm telling you at the finish, it was so surreal because I still had some left in me. You just start to think about what's waiting for you on the other side. And I'm not talking about the piece of cheese, pizza, Hut pizza that I had, which was freaking awesome, by the way, but my kids, you know, my mom and her battle, my dad, who truly, I mean, years ago planted a seed when he did an Ironman in 19, gosh, 84, 85. In my wife and everything that she's done and how amazing she is. Now, this is going to be hard to top, but I know there are ways that I know I can top it leading up to it and the month after it where I can get better at things. Okay. But here are some of the things I really took away from all my time alone on that race. I locked in, I got to the right place mentally. Like I mentioned, I had a quiet mind and a heart. And the thing I realized, and you think about your world, think about business and think about when you're leading. This is not. It's not time to be cute. It's not time to be cool. And it's not time to overthink. Just keep it simple. And you're consistently, you're constantly reframing situations that come up. When I realized the wind shifted, right? And I realized that it was warming up and I only had so much water left till the next water station. Okay, now how am I going to do this? How am I going to manage this? Should I take some nutrition? Should I take some gel? I mean, there's different things and it's not neat. It's an absolute chaotic mess, but trust the work and stay true to your game plan. And as we're running, there was one guy, had to be a football coach. And I say football coach because of the gear he was wearing. He's put together just like a brick house. And he's screaming at people. And he's pulling like, 
you know, his best motivation stuff. He's playing Rocky music and that gets annoying after a while. God bless him. Right. But he's just trying to fire people up. And I didn't, I was at that point like, Hey man, that's great. It's awesome. It's funny. It's cool. But it wasn't what I needed. It's what others need. That's great. But here's what I did. And this is what I find is sustainable. And I talk about this all the time with my clients. I talk about it in my keynotes, and my workshops, prioritize inspiration over motivation while realizing both are important, but inspiration to me is sustainable. But here's the other thing. It just drives the resilience because inspiration is always available. It's always there if you look for it. It's always there if you know how to tap into it, if you know what your purpose is, if you know what your why is, if you know what the vision you have for yourself is, if you know what your mission is, you can always find that inspiration. And, and like me on that run, I'm like, go fly a kite, dude. I don't need that right now. I'm good. Like yell at her, yell at him. I'm good. Okay. But inspiration is sustainable. And you've heard me say this a thousand times, run to the fight, run to the fight. So if we get to the run, there's this hill that everybody keeps talking and I'm like, God, this is you know not really what I want at mile, at mile six and mile eleven because you had to do it twice. And the way they had it looped, it was um, it was like what they call a popsicle course, I believe it was the way it was shaped. So even though it was a mile six, you weren't going all the way back and doing a full loop. You're kind of cutting it short and coming back. So it was, I believe it was mile six and mile eleven. And I come out of this campus we run on, and I look up and I see the hill. I'm like, that's it. That's what you got. And everyone's yelling about the hill. Everyone's talking about the hill. And I've done. Um, Fontana Triathlon here in, in Wisconsin on Geneva Lake. And they have this thing we call the Heartbreak Hill. And it is brutal. It is two point something miles straight uphill and it blows. So again, been there, done it. Preparation was harder than what the race is actually going to be. So I literally just dig in. I just run to the fight. Well, I almost said I fly up the hill, but trust me, there's no flying. But I attack the hill and I run and it felt great. You're passing people. You hear what they're saying to you. You feel the conversation. People are looking at you like you're nuts. But honestly, I just kicked it in stride. It was nothing out of the ordinary. And here's what I did the entire race. And I know that you've heard me talk about this. I think it's one of the most powerful things you can possibly do. I was talking to myself instead of listening to myself. Because when you listen to yourself, what happens? You start hearing all the negative things like why you can't do this, why it's not possible, how tired you are, how hot it is. Oh man, I hope I don't get a flat tire. You hear all this crap, right? But when you talk to yourself and you dictate your, the conversation inside your head, that means you are controlling your attitude. And it makes a huge difference. And again, gratitude, thanking all the volunteers, thanking the police, thanking the first responders. It helps tremendously because you're getting outside of yourself. And when I was riding next to someone or I was running next to someone and they were struggling, I absolutely would pick them up. I would absolutely try to pick them up. And to do that would give me energy. And it's funny how when the race is over, you'll bump into them, right? And you know, they'll say thank you. I don't you don't remember it, but they remember it. Okay. So pick someone else up. And here's the other thing, just to give this to you, all this work I do on self-awareness in my personal life, with the family, with the business, just with how I am socially, just with everything, all this commitment I have to self-awareness shows up on race day. It shows up in the heat of the moment when you're competing, because you can feel yourself when you start to slip. You can feel yourself when you might be listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. You can feel yourself literally Throughout my training, when I would come back from runs and I would look at my times and I would look at my splits, I could tell you when I was thinking negative thoughts or when I was kind of anxious about something that I had going on because I would slow down. And when I was pouring into my mind with positive thoughts, I would actually have a better clip, a more even heart rate, and I would journal it. It was unbelievable. So on race day, I was very intentional about that. 
in having fun with the fans, picking someone else up, all of that helped it. And here's the thing I was able to do because of the work with Tim, because of the game plan he put together, and because I knew it was waiting for me at the finish line, was I avoided any temptation and eliminated all distractions so I could stay focused and committed to the plan. Never once did I say, eh, maybe here I could deviate and just do this. No, that's it. That's it. Tim's been there. He's done it. He's coached people that have been there and done it. An incredible track record of success. Who am I to stray from it and think that I can do better? So I just locked into that and that helped me eliminate all of those temptations and distractions. And the other thing that kept popping in my head why I was so confident going into this race was performance doesn't rise to the occasion, but rather lowers itself to the level of our preparation and training. And I knew I was good. I knew that I had put in the work. I knew that I put in just not the quantity, but the quality. And that consistent level of self-discipline every single day and thought, behavior, and activity translated into the race. Think about that, about how you show up every day as a leader. It doesn't mean every day is great. It doesn't mean that every day things work out. But when you have the self-discipline in your thought, behavior, activity, it's going to pay off in the long run. It's going to translate into massive success for not only the people you lead, but for you. And the impact that you can have on everybody is exponential. And it was one of those surreal moments crossing the finish line. And I'll put a link to the finish in the show notes because it's pretty funny when you look at me, you're going to think, God, he must not work very hard because I did have a bit of energy, but I was so excited to see my mom and dad. I was so excited to see the kids and see Nancy because everything paid off. And again, it, it wasn't about me. It was about us. It was about what we did because I absolutely couldn't have done it without him. There's no way I could have done it without him. But I do know this, that journey of getting there and not just finishing it, but finishing it by successfully following the game plan and seeing that things pay off was a huge win for all of us. And we're better for it. And we're not better for it because of me, because I did it. We're better for it because we did it. And yeah, there were days that, you know, that I had zero desire to get up at four and go do it. There were days when you're tempted at mile 10 to say, you know what? I don't really need to put 13 in today. I can just put 10 in. Let's go do those last three. And to be able to sit there and take it all in was amazing. And then the coolest part about being a father of now an 11 and nine year old, then a 10 and eight year old, you realize that though they think it's really neat, dad, that you did that, now you're ours and it's time to play again. They don't care how tired you are. And the mood swings are the same. The bickering and fighting is the same. The desire to go play catch or go swimming or do that is the same immediately following the race, which was cool, which is great. And it's as, it, it is as it should be. And you know, a few weeks before the race, we found out that a good friend of ours, and I'll do an episode on this separately, so I won't go into it too much, uh, was diagnosed with uh, geoblastoma, brain cancer. You know, it's awful. It's horrific. Uh, he's a high school basketball coach, coaches girls basketball. He has had a tremendous impact on his community, on the surrounding communities and communities everywhere that he's coached. And he had a tremendous impact on me when we worked together years ago um, when we were coaching at Lewis University together. And he's one of the few, few people in my life that could push me without saying a word to me, just by the way he did things and just by the way he carried himself and the confidence and his knowledge and his skills, but yet his desire, his burning desire to immerse himself in learning more about the game and learning more about recruiting and learning more about the players that he coached. He never had to preach to me. He never had to preach to me. He never had to say a word to me. I just learned by observation and I was better 
for being around him. So this one hit me really hard. And, you know, I'm still, it's still hard to talk about. And he's fighting like, like crazy, you know, and he, he still chose and demanded to coach his girls team this summer in their shootouts and in their tournaments and at their camp. And I had a, um, a rubber band, you know, one of those wristbands on my wrist during the race and it was Yates Strong. And I, I didn't have to refer to it, though he was on my mind the whole time. I didn't have to refer to it as much as I thought it would. I, I didn't accuse myself of being soft uh, too many times during the race. But here's what I want to leave you with. We all have a wristband that we can put on our hand. We all have someone that's going through something that can inspire us. Or we have a situation or a circumstance that we've been through that maybe we just need to remind ourselves of. But honestly, there's nothing, if you prepare and put in the work, there is nothing that you, as a leader, as a performer, whatever role you want to you know, inject in there, there's nothing you can't accomplish. And when you have that perspective that it's about way more than us, and it's so much bigger than anything that we can fathom, and we just have to do our part, and it's going to be okay. Just be a good person. Be a hard worker. Be selfless. Get engaged with the people that you lead, with the people that you work alongside, with your clients, with your customers, with your leaders, with the people that you lead. Get engaged in your, in your personal growth, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Like Go challengers. It might not be an Ironman 70.3. It might be a 10K. It might just be weights. It might be Pilates. It might be yoga. Whatever it is, just go do it because the value that you get out of it is way more than we comprehend. Like We spend so much money on how we look. But what about how we think? What about how we feel? What about how we impact others? And that's really what this did for me. What it made me realize is that I'm capable of operating in another level. And the month preceding the race also made me realize that it doesn't pay to put too much on your plate to be able to stay dialed in and focused and true to what it is you want to accomplish and what you need to do to accomplish that is a key to success. And to accepting the fact that success is absolutely messy, it's hard, it's inconvenient, but it's also pretty damn awesome. And it's not awesome to say, look at me, or I told you so, or any of that. It's awesome because you realize that it really does work and it does pay off and you have the opportunity to impact and inspire other people and help them accomplish their goals, help them become better at what they do. And that's what I would encourage you to do. And I would immerse myself in the things that it takes to help me be a bit better. We ask this question all the time, right? Are you doing the best you can to become the best you're capable of becoming today? Just today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, just today. Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.